Okay, so we've been studying through poetry, we've been studying through narrative. The rest of the week, we're going to really be looking at poetry a little more. I've loved my study of Old Testament and poetry. What I'm going to share with you today is something that's deeply impacted me and how I raise my children. Uh, It's something that's really deeply impacted me and how I even evaluate life and the rigors and, and difficulties of life intellectually. And so I hope that this is something that's just encouraging to you. It may challenge you. It challenged me. Um, And I hope that it really is a blessing for you. Part of getting a a PhD, a doctorate, or even like a a doctor of ministry, a D-min degree, is that you have to write basically a book, um, something usually around 150 to 200 pages. It's a very rigorous experience. And when somebody completes that kind of an experience, they're wiped out. And uh, so they have this one favorite verse. It's probably the most quoted verse on any and every dissertation, okay, any uh, um, doctor of ministry project. It's furthermore a favorite verse of Bible college students. You know, Bible college students, they come into school and they're all excited to learn and they're absorbing everything and making new friends and having a great time. And then like October hits, okay, yeah, all right. There's these things called midterms, okay, and those things hit, and boy, it's just like, and then this verse, it becomes their favorite verse as well. Does anybody know what verse I'm talking about? Ecclesiastes 12. Hey, you knew what it was too? All right, yeah. Ecclesiastes 12. And I thought this would be appropriate for us even right now to think through, boy, man, that thing yesterday, that was brutal, okay? All of those big words and poetry, and that's like really, really hard. And uh, something else is really hard. Noah, my remote's not working. If you can just hit the slide and advance it for me there. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 12. It becomes everybody who's done some big project or uh, somebody who has um, uh, just exhausted themselves. And this is their favorite verse. And further, my son, be admonished by these of making many books. There is no end. And for the Bible college student and much study is wearisome to the flesh. And here we are on Wednesday and you've been able to feed off of good teaching for Six lessons, okay? Got to add them up here. And you might be like getting a little bit wearisome. Well, today I hope to encourage you to just press on. And even through that wearisomeness, to press on. And, you know, in this lesson here, you know, you might be like, I'm really ready to just give up. Well, you're here and I'm grateful for that, all right? Stick with me, especially to the end of this lesson, because this is something, I'm going to give you something in this lesson, in this day from God's word that really impacted me, and it really, really helped me, and it came from this verse of all verses. And by the way, I had to write one of those big dissertation things, okay? And from this verse, it really helped me to see what God wanted me to do with my life, and he wants you to do it with your life too, You know, when I think through Andy Stanley and he's saying, oh, the Old Testament is obsolete. We need to unhitch from it. I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. I have grown spiritually so much through a study of the Old Testament. I have learned how to raise my children from the Old Testament, the content that we're going to go through today. I have learned what God's mission for me specifically, okay, as a teacher really is, okay, from the Old Testament. It's completely revolutionized my life so many times. 
And so as we go through this week, I hope, if nothing else, that you might catch this desire to study the Old Testament scriptures. Even with all those big fancy words yesterday, you don't really even need to know those. I would say the big component that you need to think through is, how is this related to this in what way? If you just walk through that, you don't need to know if it's a metonymy or synecdoche or a metaphor or whatever. Just is how is this related to this in what way? That would be your big takeaway from yesterday. Your big takeaway from today, I pray it will be this. God wants you to think. God wants you to think. Two friends and I, we actually started a podcast last fall in an effort to encourage our students. Uh, The name of the podcast is the Thinklings Podcast. So many times we look at education as something that we learn instead of looking at education as something that we love. And when we have students come to Faith Baptist Bible College and Theological Seminary, we don't want them to leave just thinking, oh, I've learned it. We want them to leave thinking, I love it. And the Thinklings podcast, what we try to foster is this idea of community and thinking together. And I would encourage you, study God's word and think and get with somebody and think together. Um, This whole idea of thinking, this idea of education, all of these things are going to be connected to what I'm hoping to share with you today. And I pray that as a result of this study, you not only understand Old Testament wisdom literature and Proverbs better, okay? That's kind of like the, the little thing. I'd say the bigger thing is that you want to have that desire for it. Now, yesterday, your project, okay, and I recognize everybody's having a lot of fun here, and so if if even like 5% of you actually studied Psalm 1 yesterday, then I would be surprised, okay? I understand that. I would still encourage you to do so, and I am going to, I've tied these things together, all right? So Psalm chapter 1, that's where I want to start here today. Go ahead and open in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 1. Now, Psalm chapter 1 is also a psalm that a lot of you may be familiar with, Uh, Does anybody know what kind of a psalm Psalm 1 is? Okay, I want you just to think about that question for a little bit. Let's read through Psalm chapter 1. Let's pray. And then let's um, transition from last yesterday's lesson to today's lesson. Psalm chapter 1. If you could follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does will prosper." The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Lord, I thank you for this instruction, even from Psalm chapter 1. I pray for each one here that they would have a love for your word. May they desire it above all desires. May they grow in it, and may they grow in their knowledge and love of you. And as we love you, 
and desire you, that we would be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Psalm chapter 1. It's not a question that's directly connected to this. I know several of you have probably studied Psalm 1. So if somebody is like, oh yeah, Psalm 1, that's a blank, 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 whatever it is, okay, kind of psalm, then hey, you can just go ahead and shout that out. Anybody? It's a wisdom psalm. Look at the language of Psalm 1. Who walks? What is the walk? It's the manner of life. It's how you live your life. Who walks in the counsel of the ungodly? A is so, what's more, B is so, right? Okay. Next line nor stands in the path of sinners. A is so, what's more B is so, and in this case, it's A is so, what's B is so, what's B is so, what also C is so, because there's three lines, all right? See that? You just extend it on. Nor sits in the seat of the scornful. He's teaching them how to live. It's connected to the wisdom, the wisdom uh, corpus, the wisdom literature, In verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Huh. And as I studied through this, I was like, okay, I need to not just read God's word. I need to want to read God's word. And I'll be honest with you, there's been a lot of seasons in my life, particularly when I was a teenager. I was a teenager, and I knew I needed to read God's word. But you know what? I didn't really want to read God's Word. I didn't really want to study God's Word. And as I reflected upon this in my own life, and my own upbringing, I then thought of my children. Do my children delight? Do they want to read God's Word? And this is where thinking through wisdom and Proverbs started to impact not only my life and how I lived, but also how I was teaching my children and trying to teach them to live. You know, it's amazing to see all of these children here at family camp. I see all of these fours and fives filing out, these first through third graders, these fourth through sixth graders, these teenagers. And I would just so strongly encourage you to think through, could the Lord use my child in full-time Christian service? I see all of those kids going out, and and statistically, like very few, okay, are going to be actually going out into Christian service. Can the Lord use my child in Christian service? Now, what would that look like right now as you teach them, as you prepare them? Delight in the law of the Lord. This is a manner of life. It's how we live, uh, how we live our lives. It's a wisdom psalm. Then what does he do in verse 3? He shall be like a tree. Okay, what has he just done? What do we call that? Somebody said it. It's a simile. Now, what is the point of comparison? X is like Y in what way? Let's go ahead and read on. Planted by the trees of water. Oh, this isn't just a simile. This is an extended simile. He's further explaining the illustration. What is this tree? It's planted by rivers of water. Well, what's the rivers of water doing? 
It's providing health and, and the, uh, the nutrients and the strength to the tree so that the tree can grow and so that it can, and it can produce fruit. Look at the threeness. There's all kinds of threes in this psalm, okay? He shall be like a tree. One, planted by the rivers of water. Two, brings forth fruits in its season. Three, whose leaf also shall not wither. Then, and whatever he does will prosper, he then transitions to the actual person and he applies it. The tree is like the blessed man in what way? He's fed by the water. He's healthy and produces fruit and has clean, good, healthy leaves. All right? Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. The tree is the man, and the source of the fruit is the water. Well, what's the water? In the analogy, what is it? The Word of God. And how often does the tree drink the water? All the time. Back in verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. That's called a merism from the beginning to the end. In other words, all the time. Do you see that analogy, that, that metaphor, that simile, metaphor, and how it really can drive a point home? And what do I want in my life? I need to be meditating on the word of the, God, the, word of the Lord day and night, all the time. Now, how do I do that? Well, by sitting in front of the TV or my computer screen and playing a video game, or by blah, 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 fill in the blank and whatever your you know, fun thing is, okay? You gotta get into the word. And that's why I'm just so grateful that I've been given the opportunity to open God's word with you this week. And I pray that if anything else, you're like, ah, oh, I hope that you love God's word and that you get into it and read it, can understand it, and can live it. Okay, so there's Psalm chapter one. And that was our review. Of course, there's more that we could unpack there and work through. But we're going to talk about today Proverbs. Proverbs. So what is a proverb? A proverb is a likening or a comparison. Okay? That is the essence of a proverb is that it's like something. It's creating some kind of a comparison in some kind of a way. It's actually a very, very general thing. If you just get one thing, what is a proverb? It's a likening. It's a comparison. It's an analogy. You could use that word to describe it. The proverb does not explicitly state the comparison. It requires the listener to correctly interpret and apply it. <gasps> what did we just have to do with Psalm 1? Do you see that? This is how the sages of old communicated. And this is where this just revolutionized even how I was teaching my children. Because what is our propensity to do? What does our culture teach our, uh, teach, how does our culture teach us to teach our children? Oh, you don't understand that? Here, let me help you out. Okay? What did they say? What did the sages of old say? 
Oh, you don't understand it? Well, think about it some more. Wait a minute. Think about it. You know, so many college students, because we work with college students a lot, they're at transition and transitional times in their lives. What do I do next with my life? Do I go to college? Okay. Do I, do I marry this person? Okay. I can't, you know, so many times. All right. Lots and lots of those kind of questions. And I'm sure out here, you know, there's still a lot of those questions. What's the answer? You know what we often want? Lord, show me what to do. You know, open up some big sign from heaven and shine down the light so then I know what path to walk on, okay? And of course, God, he doesn't do that. Why doesn't he do that? Don't you wish that he would just do that? He just, you know, shine the light down and so then I just know that's the way to go. You know how easy that would be? You know, if God would just do that, what would I not have to do? I wouldn't have to think. I wouldn't have to take the principles from this word, this book, okay? I wouldn't have to then flesh them out in my life and then apply it. I would just be able to be some stupid robot and just, oh, God said to do this, and God said to do this, and God said to do this. Instead, what does God say? He wants you to think. Now, I know there are explicit commands in Scripture, thou shalt not steal. Okay, we got sanctification. People... (laughs) Don't usually have a problem with those ones, all right? The bigger issues are, do I take this job? Do I marry this person? What's the next thing that you want me to do in life, Lord? Do I help out in this ministry at church? Am I overburdened? Can I disciple this individual? What, what do I do here, there, wherever else? And the answer is, think. Proverbs. By teaching our children, oh, you don't understand that? Here you go. We are not preparing them for life. We're not preparing them for thinking. It revolutionized the way that I viewed um, education and learning. And Proverbs was a big part of that. So interpret and apply it. That's what Psalm 1 does. That's what the Proverbs do. Let's look at some illustrations. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and, and verse 1. Interpret and apply. Interpret and apply. In the Old Testament, sometimes the interpretation part is a little tricky. For example, this one. A good name is better than precious ointment. In the day of death, than the day of one's birth. You know, don't you just, man, that day of death is so much better than the day of the birth. You know? Does that, like, resonate with you? Yeah, not so much. (laughs) That just is like, wrong, all right? You know, you look at that, and it's like, man, something is definitely wrong. What's wrong with this guy? Man, what a pessimistic loser. I don't want to have anything to do with this, you know? A good name is better than precious ointment. And you're like, okay. But the day of death and the day of one's birth? And this is how the sages communicated. They'd say weird stuff like that. And then, what would you have to do? You have to scratch your head. And you got to think. What's this saying? What is he communicating in Ecclesiastes 7.1? Okay, let's unpack the first one. Remember, A is so. What's more, B is so. A good name is better than precious ointment. Okay? It's a metaphor. What is precious ointment? When you think of precious ointment, what do you think about? A lot of the stuff we described yesterday, right? Because we had that same ointment yesterday in the Song of Songs. The good smells, okay? The, the, um, 
uh, the intoxicatingness of it, okay? It's just like, oh, it's just this aesthetic beauty of this ointment. Oh, but he doesn't highlight necessarily the beauty out of it here. He's talking about even just the preciousness. And when we think of a little child, what do we often think of? Oh, it's that precious little baby, okay? And you hold them, and they're all just so soft, like ointment, okay? And, you know, they're just so cuddly, and you just love all of that, okay? But, you know, in the ancient days, that ointment, it was actually also very fragile. In fact, in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, he talks about how a fly and the ointment destroys it. Because the stinky little fly that got into the precious ointment made this putrefying smell. It stinks it up. So this precious ointment is actually very fragile. Huh. So there's a correspondence here between the precious ointment and the day of one's, ver one's birth. Here's this fragileness. Huh. Here's this softness and this stuff that we like. Now, what about the good name? What is a good name? We've been talking about the name this week, so we've kind of learned a little bit about somebody's reputation. Well, what is the reputation of that little baby that was just born? It's nothing. The child was just born. It doesn't have a name. What is the reputation of the man that just passed away? A good name is better than precious ointment. In the day of one's death, the reputation of that man is more precious than the day of one's birth when a life is just beginning. And we don't know if this individual, this child, is going to have a good name or a bad name. In this way, the day of death is better than the day of one's birth. Okay, now, if I hadn't explained that to you, would you have figured that out? <laughs> I use this one as an illustration because it just doesn't really resonate with us because we don't think of the name this way. And it's really challenging. Okay, so sometimes the Proverbs are very challenging to interpret. And you might need to get a commentary or something to help you out with uh, some of those historical allusions. In the extra notes, I've actually put a couple of resources. One of them is Bruce Walke's commentary on Proverbs. I don't agree with everything that he says, but it, it's, uh, it's been a very helpful... Well, I haven't used this one. He's got a bigger one, and that's the one I've used a lot. This is a shorter one, which I think would be very accessible for you. I haven't read it yet. It just came out, but he made it supposed to be more accessible to um, people that don't know Hebrew, okay? So uh, I would encourage you to consult like a resource like that. I think it'd be very helpful for you as you try to interpret some of these Proverbs. Okay, so you have this interpretation aspect. Then you have the application component. In 1 Kings chapter 20 and verse 11, let not the one who puts on his armor boast like the one who takes it off. This is when Ahab and the Syrian king Ben-Hadad, okay, Ben-Hadad's come in and he's attacking Ahab, and Ben-Hadad's like, oh, we're going to wipe you out, and blah, 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 blah. And then Ahab comes back and he says, let not the one who puts on his armor boast like the one who takes it off. Now, think through what you have to do to apply that proverb. You have to interpret. And then you have to put the pieces together. 
and be like, oh, he is insulting me. And guess what? Ben-Hadad, he got the message all right. And he said, get the troops ready. We're going to war. <laughs> he understood the proverb. And he attacked and he lost because the Lord was with Ahab, which is kind of interesting because Ahab was not a good guy. Okay, so 1 Kings 20.11, not the one who boasts, put his arm around like the one who takes it off. These are the two big components of a proverb. Think through proverbs in this way. It's a likening. It's a comparison. Okay. Um, I want to go to Proverbs chapter 1 next. Actually, I'm looking at my time. We're going to skip Proverbs 1, okay? We're going to skip Proverbs 1. Okay, let's look at the characteristics. Let's finish my slides. Characteristics. The characteristics of a proverb. I've got several different characteristics that I've put up here. The main characteristic I've already given you, if you get nothing else about Proverbs, that's that they are some kind of a comparison, this thing with that thing. The second thing is that they are enigmatic, and I've already alluded to this as well. Enigmatic's a big word, but I don't like the word puzzle. It just doesn't really communicate. The point is that it is a puzzle. It's something that you have to figure out. It's something that you are going to have to think through. It's not only something that you have to think through. As a father, it's something that I want my sons to learn to think through, okay? It's something that's puzzling. We need to think through it, and then we have to figure it out, okay? So that, that they are enigmatic. They're intentionally something that um, you have to process. So they're written in that way. And Proverbs chapter 1 is where I make that case. So if you're like, oh, where's this thing about enigma? Okay, well, Proverbs chapter 1 verse 5 says that they're enigmas. There you go. Write down Proverbs 1 5 on that second point. Third, they're applicatory. Proverbs are designed to be lived, Okay, you live them out. You make the connection. Oh, X is like Y in this way. The proverb is like my life in this way. You piece it all together. It's almost like a metaphor. Huh. Okay, so this is the way all of scripture is. Is this like this in what way? Piece it together. If you have ears to hear, a heart to know, eyes to see, all of those metaphors is you have to have the ability to put the pieces together. The foolish son can't put the pieces together. So that they are uh, comparative, they're enigmatic, they're applicatory. And then the fourth point is that that's about it. <laughs> they're used very broadly. When you think of a proverb, you usually have like this English idea that it's something that's very pithy, this short little statement. We have that concept of a proverb in our mind from English. Hebrew is not that way. Okay, so on this last point, I want to give you a couple of illustrations of how proverbs are used very broadly. I've actually already given you one from Psalm chapter 1, but I want to turn to Proverbs chapter 10, Proverbs chapter 10 right now, and I want to illustrate this, and we're actually going to study two passages this morning. Proverbs 10, we're going to look at about five verses, maybe 10, probably five, as I'm looking at the time, and then I want to go to Ecclesiastes. So Proverbs 10, verses 1 through 5. Proverbs 10, 1 through 5. Proverbs 10, 1 through 5. I'm going to just read through the text. The Proverbs of Solomon... A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is the grief of his mother. Treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord will not allow the righteous soul to famish, but he casts away the desire of the wicked. 
He who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a wise son. He who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. Now, I don't know about you, but reading a proverb a day was kind of a method that I was taught as a child. It's actually a really good method. There's 31 proverbs. So if you read a proverb every day of the month, you could read all of the proverbs every single month. Great exercise for young, young people. Now, as you read that, though, a lot of times, you know, things don't really connect with us. Things don't really resonate with us because we think of proverbs only as short, pithy statements. That first proverb is really a short, pithy statement. A wise son makes a glad father. I'm a father. And when my son is wise, guess what? That makes me happy. <laughs> but a foolish son is the grief of his mother. Yeah, it doesn't make her very happy. I mean, it doesn't make the father very happy. You have the father and the mother there because it's both. There's joy for the father and the mother, and there's disappointment for the father and the mother. But the mother is usually the one that's more hands-on with the uh, raising of the children. And so it's a grief for his mother. Okay, so that one, we can kind of see how that connects, okay? Wise son makes a glad father. Foolish son is the grief of his mother. Now, I want to go on to the next one. This is where I want to focus. Treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivers from death. Treasures of wickedness profit nothing. Okay. But righteousness delivers from death. Hmm. Treasures of wickedness. So we have treasures. We have a lot of money of wickedness. So it seems like the treasures were acquired in some wicked way, okay? Whether deceitfully or through uh, um, a robbery, Okay, treasures of wickedness, they're no profit. They profit nothing. That's kind of interesting because, you know, uh, a wicked person, when they do have those treasures, there seems to be some profit. They got the money, right? So it's kind of interesting that it profits nothing. Hmm. But righteousness delivers from death? How are those two things connected? Oh. Well, let's just go on because we can't figure that one out. All right. Verse 3. The Lord will not allow the righteous soul to famish, but he casts away the desire of the wicked. The Lord will not allow the righteous soul to famish. Well, that's good. I'm grateful for that. The Lord is not going to allow the righteous soul. Soul, when you think of soul, don't just think of the immaterial part of the person. Soul is also, it's like your life. It's like your food, okay? Because guess what keeps your soul in your body? The food, all right? You need to have that sustenance. So the Lord does not allow the righteous soul to famish. He's going to provide for us. Oh, that's comforting. But he casts away the desire of the wicked. What's up with that next one? He casts away the desire, the desire. Huh? It's like they want something. Oh, the wicked are like, oh, I want this, I want this. And goes, God do. He's like, <sighs> okay. So the righteous soul to famish. We're talking about the bare necessities of life. 
We're talking about food. Do we understand that? The righteous soul to famish, you're going to be able to stay alive. God's going to take care of the righteous soul, that they'll have the food needed for life. But then in that last line, he casts away the desire. What's a desire? Oh, maybe the desire for food. Maybe the desire for a Corvette. Or, you know, what is that desire? It could be a lot of different things. Okay, does that kind of make sense? Are we okay with that one? You know, maybe a little, maybe not. We still have that nasty one back in verse 2. And I will tell you that sometimes as you're working through Proverbs, you may really scratch your head and just be like, I don't know. Okay, don't get too disappointed if you can't figure some out. That's all right. But I would encourage you to look a little bit bigger. Don't think of a proverb as a short, pithy statement. Look at verse 2 and verse 3. Do you see anything? Do you see any repetition? What do we see that's repeated? I don't want the article the, okay? But what do we see that's repeated? Righteous, thank you. Okay? What else do we see that's repeated? Wicked. Okay? Do we see that? Look at, what's that? Okay, so treasures of wickedness profit nothing. This person has stolen. They've done some uh, illegal business ventures, whatever. They're these treasures of um, these these treasures of of wickedness. And so, as a result, what does this person think that they have? Well, great profit, great wealth. But what does that profit? What does that wealth do for that individual? Because what does God do with the wicked? He casts away the desire of the wicked. You've got all of this wealth, all of this substance, all of this sustenance, and guess what? It's never enough. Because what has God done? He's taken that desire and he's thrown it away. And you'll never be satisfied with what God has allowed, or what you've taken. <laughs> he hasn't, God hasn't given it to you. You've taken it sinfully in this instance. Do we see that? That's what he's teaching here in this text. You're never going to be satisfied. The beginning of verse 2 goes with the end of verse 3. Now let's look at the middle points. Righteousness delivers from death. Well, if you want to be delivered from death, what are you going to need? Food. You need food. What is the beginning of verse 3 talk about? The Lord will not allow the righteous soul to go hungry. 
God is going to provide for you. He's going to take care of you, and you'll be satisfied and at peace and whole. And then there's that wicked guy who has all of that stuff. He's got his Corvette. He's got his big house. He's got his boat. And guess what? No peace, no satisfaction. The desires just keep coming because he's not satisfied with any of it. Interpret and apply. Interpret and apply. Coming back to verse 1, a wise son makes a glad father. A foolish son is the grief of his mother. Let me give you an illustration of that, verses 2 and 3. Learn, my son, Proverbs chapter 10, 1 through 3. How are we doing? Are we okay? Do we see how that kind of works? You have to figure it out. God wants you to think. You think, you figure it out, okay, you apply. I would encourage you to examine your own life. How have you acquired the wealth that you've acquired? Has it been honestly? Or has God taken that desire that you have and he's just thrown it away? And it's just like, oh, it's over there and you're going after it. And God throws it away again. And you're going there and you're going after it. And maybe you're like, man, I don't have a whole lot. But you know what? God's taken care of me. He has given me food to eat on a regular daily basis. Thank you, Lord, for the sustenance that you provide. God has always taken care of my wife and I. So many times we're in ministry. So many times we don't know how God's going to bring in the funds. But we live wisely. We don't spend beyond our means. God always takes care of us. We have no problems. And now even in these as we're getting a little bit older, God's even given us some extra. And we're so grateful for that. And we seek to use what God's given us as good stewards for his honor and glory. Wealth and money is a major hurdle for young people. Chapter 10, verse 1. A wise son makes a glad father. A foolish son is the grief of his mother. Let's learn about money. Verses 2 and 3. Huh, man, I wonder if this money thing, maybe that will show up again here in Proverbs chapter 10. Hmm. Well, let's keep reading, shall we? He who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Check that out. We have another proverb, and that one's pretty easy to apply, right? I know we have several farming families here. You know, we got to work hard, okay? We need to be diligent with our hands, and that's what makes wealth. Now look at verse five. He who gathers in summer is a wise son. He who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. Huh, yeah, that really resonates. I love this proverb. And this proverb can really stand on its own. He who gathers in summer. You know, what is there to gather in the summertime? Especially in Israel. I know here in Iowa, we're kind of special because we get lots of rain and different crops even all year long. But in Israel, you know what there is to gather? Like nothing, right? It's all either growing or dying. Okay, so there's not a whole lot to gather in the summertime. But the wise son, guess what? Even in the times when there's not a whole lot to go out and get, he's working hard. It's an illustration of that diligent hand. And he's gathering even when there's not a whole lot to gather. Oh, I wonder what the opposite of that be. Oh, yeah, you know what? It's harvest time, okay? We need to get the crops into the, gar into, the, into the shed, into the silo. And guess where he is? He's off snoozing in his bed, 
okay? You have this contrast presented. He who gathers in summer is a wise son, and he who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. Now, these two Proverbs can really kind of stand alone, verse 4 and verse 5. But take a look at them together. What corresponds to what? You know how much I love it when you're looking down at your Bibles? <laughs> it's a great sight. Meditates on the word of the Lord day and night. Do you see the correspondence? The beginning of verse 4, he who has a slack hand becomes poor. He who sleeps in harvest is the son who causes shame. What do you have in the middle? The hand of the diligent makes rich. Hey, let me give you an illustration of that. The one who gathers in summer is a wise son. When you're thinking of Proverbs, don't just think of short, pithy statements. Proverbs are used very broadly, and sometimes they're bigger sections. Here we have another illustration of the wise son and the foolish son. If you are doing a Bible study, I love studying through the Proverbs because you can get out some pens, start highlighting and circling and noting various things. I want to primarily focus on this slide on the left side of the slide, okay? Uh, you can see the A, B, B, A. And then in the next line, you have an A, B, B, A. Those letters are there to show the correspondences and how one line corresponds to another line. When we think of an outline, we often think of point number one, subpoint, subpoint, point number two, subpoint, subpoint. They didn't write that way. This is often how they wrote. And you have to look bigger. You need to look broader to see how things are corresponding. So if you get to a Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 2 and you're scratching your head and like, I don't know what the world that thing means, okay? Keep reading and you might be able to figure it out. And then if you still can't figure it out, I would strongly recommend a commentary. Walkie that I mentioned there, Kidner, some other commentary could really be a help to you in understanding these Proverbs. And as you even sometimes get help understanding them from a commentary, hopefully eventually you're starting to even think better yourselves. Do you see that? That's how the sages worked of old. They didn't just put the cookies on the bottom shelf all the time. They would build them up and they would teach them how to think through and to apply. This is like this in what way? Oh, I, I know this, Dad. Pastor Sam, I know this, Dad. Dad, you've said it how many times? I know. But I didn't really know. Exactly. Learn to know. Teach your children how to know. This is a philosophy of education. It's how you go about thinking. And we need to teach our children how to think. Don't just give them answers. Don't just tell them what to do. Use questions and 
um, rhetorical questions and help them to think, to think better. And if you're like, man, how do I go about doing that? Study the Proverbs and copy them, okay? Study the Proverbs and you can copy them. Okay, so Proverbs chapter 10. Now, uh, let's see here. We're going to transition a little bit here, all right? I've given you some examples of Proverbs, short, pithy statements. How big can these Proverbs actually get? Actually, before my transition, there was one other place I wanted to go. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. You can keep your, well, actually, you don't need to keep your finger in Proverbs because we're going to Ecclesiastes next. I want to just show you a little bit about how big Proverbs can sometimes be from Isaiah chapter 14. And then I'm going to scamper over to Ecclesiastes, and I'm going to hopefully give you a final charge when it comes to thinking and education, and, um, and then I'm going to dismiss you, which if you're thinking, oh, that shouldn't take too long. <laughs> Several years ago, um, I would come home from work. I live within walking distance of Faith Baptist Bible College and Theological Seminary, so I often go home for lunch. It's a short time when I can see my family and just grab some food. Um, And it was kind of a regular thing. I'd come home, and I could just see my kids doing their schoolwork because they're homeschooled, and they're just, like, hating it. (laughs) You can't resonate with that, can you? You know, your kids, they all just love school, don't they? Uh, I knew this was a problem, okay? But I didn't really recognize how big of a problem it was. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 was an instrumental passage for me as I thought through my children and raising them and their hatred of school. You know, as the summer is here, a lot of times kids are like, oh, yes, it's summer. Guess what? During the summer, I don't have any school. Woo! Woo! The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Huh. Is my son despising wisdom and instruction? Yeah, they don't like school. They don't want to learn. And when I realized that, oh, this is like this in this way. Oh, it's not just Proverbs 1-7. That's my life. Do you understand? Okay. I was like, I've got a problem. You know, who cares about math? Because the real issue, sorry. (laughs) She's a math teacher. Who cares about math? The real problem is that they don't like it. They don't like reading. They don't want to learn. They're being the fool. And I'm failing as a parent. Do we understand that? This is a serious thing. They are not walking on the way of wisdom. They are on the path of folly. And when God enlightened my mind and I saw that, I was like, honey, something's got to change. We've got to figure something else out. And we made specific changes in our curriculum and even in our lives. You know, I started spending some more time at home with the kids doing educational things with them. Math was a particularly difficult topic. And so I ended up taking more of the education of the math 
component. And I would encourage you as parents, if your kids hate school, that's a big deal, all right? And you may need to, you know, hire a tutor or something if you have the funds to do that. For us, that wasn't really going to be an option. And I personally, from Deuteronomy 6, I had the ability and the knowledge and the capacity to take that and to help. And so my wife and I worked through that. One easy component to foster a love of reading, because they didn't like reading, a love of reading in our children was actually came from my, my uh, brother-in-law, okay, and sister-in-law, and I just was like, I started reading to them. I, I mean, I always encouraged them, hey, you need to read, you need to read, but I never actually read to them. They would see me reading. I, I'm, I mean, I'm an academic, okay, I'm, I'm reading all the time. But, but they just never connected and, and thought that it was something that they could actually enjoy, that something that they could actually love. And so I started reading to them. And that was some, one step, okay? We changed curriculum. It was several things. I'm not going to tell you how to do it, but I'm going to tell you it's a big deal. And it's something that you really need to take seriously, evaluate, and try to foster in your children a love for learning. It's biblical. Okay, so that was a little story to try to bring you back. Now we're going to look at Proverbs again, and you're in Isaiah chapter 14. So what is a proverb? Isaiah chapter 14 in verse um, 4. You will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon. That phrase right there. You will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon. How many of you have a translation that says a taunt? Got a few hands. How many of you have some other word? Uh, throw out your other words that you're hearing. Proverb. It is a proverb. It is the same exact word as Proverbs of Solomon. Same exact word, okay? And then this taunt, because that's what it is. It's, it is a taunt. They're taunting this king, okay? Um, but it's doing a specific thing. It's functioning in a certain way because what does a proverb do? It creates a comparison, okay? And in this case, this is a really wicked king. And so the comparison is don't be like this guy, <laughs> all right? That would be the comparison. And for any ruler out there, this would be the, the theological truth to drive from it is you don't want to be this kind of a ruler, don't be this kind of a king. And I personally, as I studied this passage, I evaluated the character of this king, of this ruler. And he's really bad, by the way. But um, hopefully I'm never even close to him. And, um, but anyway, it started to help me even think through. I, I manage a bookstore. I have some people that are under me. This is like this in this way. And in Proverbs, Isaiah 14, okay, Hopefully, <laughs> this guy is not like me in any of these ways. And this passage continues from, Proverbs, from Isaiah 14, verse 4, all the way through 21. Through 21, that entire thing is the proverb. It's long. Does anybody else have a different word? We have taunt, we have proverb. Does anybody else have a different word there? A song? Okay, yeah, a song. It is a song. It's written like as, well, I don't know if I'd say it's a song. It's, it's poetry. Okay, I'll give them that. What else? Anybody else? A parable. That's what I was after. Ha! Huh. 
A parable. When you think of a parable, what do you think of? You think of Jesus. You know what Jesus spoke in? Proverbs. What is a parable? A longer proverb. That's what a parable is. Talk about reading Jesus' Bible. Let's understand a proverb. We'll have a better understanding of a parable. Ah, Lord Jesus, why are you talking to them in parables? Oh, so that seeing they might see, so that they don't see. They have to think. This is like this in this way. And the ones who will want to see can put it together. And the ones who can't see, they're not going to get it. Jesus was a philosopher. He was a sage. And he was teaching Proverbs. Okay, Isaiah chapter 14. Proverbs are bigger than just short, pithy statements. I hope you've really gathered that truth. Um, there's another resource in the further reading, um, Israel's Eschatological Enemy by Timothy Allen Little. Uh, this is... Uh, a section on Isaiah 14, 4 through 21, okay, which is a proverb. And there's a section in this book on proverbs and what proverbs are. So, um, you know, with Walke, I agree with most of what he says, but this guy is exactly right. He got everything right in that book. <laughs> Let's go to Ecclesiastes. All right, we're coming in. We're going to try to land this plane. We started in Psalm 1. We talked about a wisdom psalm, how it applies to our life. Actually, we started in Ecclesiastes 12, but how we get tired and we're weary. And then we went to Psalm 1, and, and uh, we talked about how wisdom, it's a wisdom psalm, is teaching us how to live our lives. We talked about Proverbs, what Proverbs are. We went to Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs are used in broad, different ways, okay? They can be short, pithy statements. They can be a little bit longer, or they can be a big, huge, long thing, like a parable, all right? That's what Proverbs are. In Ecclesiastes, we are still in wisdom literature, and we have a poem here in Ecclesiastes 1, uh, 4 through 11. Ecclesiastes 1, 4 through 11, okay? Now, I would love to walk you through and have you see this, there's huge value to that. By me telling you, I mean, it like grates against me because it's exactly what the sages would not do. They would tell you it and make you think about it and then walk away, and then they'd have a meeting again tomorrow. I have tomorrow, but this is not your homework assignment. I do have a homework assignment, and it's like the shortest one. And interestingly, it's actually from the New Testament. So uh, have fun with that, and we'll talk about it tomorrow. But for today, I'm going to do what I'm not supposed to do. I'm going to try to explain it to you. And I pray that this really just instills for you a love for learning and that you would take that love for learning and teach your kids also to love learning, to be thinkers. Okay, so Ecclesiastes chapter 1, I'm going to jump right into verse 4. Those first three verses are really important, okay? But we're going to jump into the poem in verse 4. One generation passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. The sun also rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it arose. 
The wind goes toward the south and turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers come, there they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Okay, I'm just going to stop there. I'm not going to read the rest of the poem. The portion that I really want to focus on is five through eight. Five through eight. Take a couple of moments. Read through that passage maybe a couple or three times. I'm going to give you two minutes to familiarize yourself with it. Nope, one minute. It just went to 1029 at 1030. Go. Okay, I've given you one minute to think about it. Now I want to just start asking some questions about these what, four verses. What do you see? What do you see that's repeated, themes that there might be, okay? And just kind of shout stuff out. What goes around comes around, okay? We had three illustrations of what goes around comes around. What are the three illustrations of what goes around comes around? The sun, moon, and the water. What goes around comes around. They just keep going and going and going and going. How many of you are glad that those things just keep going and going and going? Yeah, me too, all right? Things would really be a mess if any of them stopped, all right? So the sun, the wind, and the water, they just all keep going and going and going. Good. That's what I really wanted you to see from that. Now, what about verse 8? And if you've heard me speak on this or listen to our podcast where I talked about it, you're not allowed to answer. <laughs> Say that again. Yes. Don't get tired of seeing or hearing. All right? So the point you see there is there's seeing and there's hearing. The eye is not satisfied with seeing nor the ear filled with hearing. Let's talk about the one right before that. My New King James translates it, man cannot express it. What do some of your translations have for that phrase? By the way, I would encourage you, use multiple translations, all right? Particularly in the Old Testament. And when one translation says something the totally opposite of another translation, all right? Hey, have fun, all right? Study that out and think. You know, humility, Pastor Choi's message last night, when you come to the Word of God, okay, you've got to be humble, you have to be willing to say, you know what, my interpretation is, especially in these Old Testament prophets and Proverbs, my interpretation may be wrong, right? 
and uh, just kind of hold on to those things loosely and just being admonished and instructed by the Word of God. It's not mean that you can't ever understand anything. I, the point is the thinking component. Sometimes we're thinking incorrectly. So having somebody else, like a sage, all right, help us in that thinking process um, could be very helpful. Now, who might be the sage that, brought, that God has brought into your life to help you think through these things? Who's the sage that God has brought into your life to help you think through these things? Don't think camp. I'm not that person. John. Pastor. Got it? Okay. If you're reading something like, I ain't getting it, you know how much your pastor would love it if you brought your Bible to him and said, what does this mean? <laughs> now, your pastor may not know, but he'll love studying it out. And you just gave him a reason to study the Bible. And you know how excited he'll be about that as opposed to having to fix a toilet or who knows what other thing that he needs to do, all right? And then make sure you help him and pay him, pay the plumber to get the toilet fixed for him so he can study God's word. Okay, so... A uh, man cannot express it. That was a little tangent. Translations now. What are, what are the different translations? What do you have for that phrase, man cannot express it? Utter. Okay. Somebody else had something over here. More than one can say. All right. The wording there is speaking about the mouth. You have the mouth, you have the eyes, and you have the ears. So in the first section, he talks about three things that are constantly going and going and going and going. The sun, the water, and the wind. Okay? Those three things. They just keep going. They keep working. And they keep doing their thing. Praise the Lord. Now he uses your human body. Aren't you glad that your eyes just keep going and going and going? Like, oh man, I'm getting a little old. Okay? I know. Okay? But still, you're able to see ears. Okay, we're grateful that these things keep functioning. Our mouths, we're grateful for these things that they keep functioning. And I know that some people may have lost eyesight, hearing, whatever it is. Okay, but just generally speaking, we're grateful that these things keep working. They keep functioning. Now, what about that first line, that first phrase there in verse 8? All things are full of labor. What does it mean, full of labor? What does your translation have? Ah, most of the translations actually translate that as wearisome. All things are full of labor. No, no. Let's use word wearisome here, okay? I mean, full of labor. That can still work, but let's go with wearisome. All things are wearisome. What did he just give an illustration of? The sun, the wind, and the water. What are all those things doing? Ah, oh, they're wearying. And they're just doing it, and they're doing it, and they're doing it. Now he looks at the body, and what is the body doing? Oh, we're still seeing, we're still hearing, we're still speaking. And preacher, I want you to stop speaking. <clears throat> and we're grateful that all of those things continue as they are. All of those wearisome things they just wearily, wearily, wearily keep continuing the way they are. Go to Ecclesiastes 12.12. 12, 12. Ecclesiastes 12.12. 12. 
And further, my son, be admonished by these. Of many books there is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. Huh. He used that word before. And further, my son, be admonished by these. Of, many, of making many books there is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. Well, I'm glad that my eyes and ears and mouth wearily keep working. I'm glad that, my, that the sun, the water, and the wind keep wearily working. You know, the understanding of this verse has not always been the way that your English Bible reads it. In fact, in days of old, the Targum, that would be the Hebrew, the Aramaic translation of the Old Testament, this was done a long time ago, they understood this verse very differently. More than this, my son, be careful to make many scrolls of wisdom without end. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He's saying to do it. Be careful to make many scrolls of wisdom without end. Keep writing the books. You understand the book was invented in like 200 AD. Okay, so Solomon's not talking about books, books. It's scrolls. All right, be careful to make many scrolls of wisdom without end. To be exceedingly busy with the words of the Torah and to consider the weariness of the flesh. This is not a, oh, I'm exhausted. This is a, oh, I'm doing exactly what God wants me to do. Just like the sun and the wind and the water are doing exactly what God wants them to do, just as your eyes and your ears and your mouth are doing exactly what God wants them to do, what is it that God wants you to do? He wants you to think. He wants you to study. You have to constantly take the teachings of this book and you have to apply them to your world. And how do you do that? By writing scrolls of wisdom, by studying it out. This is like this in this way. Lord, I thank you for the instruction of your word. And I pray for each one here that they wouldn't say, oh, I'm sick of learning. I pray that they would say, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to learn. Give me a love for learning. Give me that desire to learn your word. Lord, sometimes it may be wearisome, but this is how you've designed us. This is the task which you have given us to do. Help us to study and to work hard for your glory and give us the wisdom to instill this love of learning in our children as well. In Jesus' name, amen.